0: Hi, Mr. Winkleman. Uh, my name is Mark Bove. Um, it was brought to my attention earlier um, that you're using my uh, logo without my permission on social media, um, combined with some slanderous, um, unwarranted uh, comments. Um, so I would I would graciously ask you to um, refrain from any social media or take down my logo um, because you do not have my permission to use that logo um, if you have any questions feel free to give me a call on my cell at 802. Greedy asshole, well, greedy well, asshole, well, greed, greed, that's greed, greed, greedy asshole. Well. Um, otherwise, you, you know, you can, you're going to hear from my lawyer tomorrow. Um, so I, I've graciously given you this opportunity um, to, to do the right thing. Thank you, have a good evening. Welcome
1: to Unsolicited Bridge Picks.
2: I'm your host, Charles Winkleman, and with me is... we Find us on Twitter at...
1: Unsolicited VT.
2: And as we say, all of Vermont's wonder, none of its trolls. This is part two of our Bove's expose. In part one, we kind of talked about The research that I had done looking into their relationship with Almighty Peaks Painting, a local drug dealer.
1: (laughs) That's their front. Their front is being a drug dealer and it's fronting for painting or something, right? Yes, yeah.
2: (laughs) Their relationship to them and their relationship to esteemed state senator Dick Mazza and his very interesting background and family relationship to Almighty Peaks Painting and to the Bobes Mm -hmm. Today... We were going to talk first about the Bove's history in Burlington.
1: Mm-hmm. All right.
2: There was a Seven Days article back in 2015 about the Bove's father, Dick Bove.
1: So many dicks.
2: So little time. There's a lot of dicks in this state. There's no question about that. Dick Bove was four when his family opened their restaurant on Pearl Street in 1941, and it stayed there for over 60 years. Mm-hmm. Dick Bove also, in the 80s, was on the city's fire commission. Mm-hmm. Back then in Burlington, power was far more decentralized, and that was one of Bernie's legacy was he undecentralized it, re-centralized He's it.
1: just centralized
2: uh, it. He super centralized it like the commie <laughs> he is. And it used to be that, you know, the, the commission, they would hire people, fire people, you know, they were really in charge of that. And the mayor at the time was Gordon Paquette, oh, yeah, who was go. a Democrat who had been in power since nineteen seventy-one. He ran machine style politics, which did well for him. But Dickie did not like it. Dickey wanted things cleaned up, and he was a bit of a rabble rouser and pissed off Senor Gordon. To the point where Gordon said, Fuck you, you're off the fire commission. And so that
1: anger Dick was trying to insert himself where he was not wanted. Dick
2: was trying to insert himself in places. <laughs> You're just gonna make dick jokes this whole time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Is that not what my job is? It's It's in the contract. It's funny. I thought that was supposed
2: to be my job. I know. I know. You get paid per dick joke. So, Dick Bove was pissed, and he decided to try to get back at Gordon Paquette by running for mayor. And this was when Bernie decided to run, too. Uh And what ended up happening was Dick Bove split 1,091 votes, which allowed Bernie Sanders to win by 10 votes. He had 4,030 votes, and Gordon (laughs) had 4,020 votes.
1: Amazing. So,
2: the Bove's go far back, and they go far back in politics, too. Dick Bove ran for city council in 2007, but lost. Yeah, so that was the Boves back in, like, the 80s. Mm -hmm. I I wanted to give some background just about, Mm -hmm. like why the Boves are so well known. I mean, they started their pasta sauce company, I think, in the 90s. After
1: decades of success in this well-known mainstay yeah. restaurant yeah, that, in Burlington,
2: that restaurant was the holdout of Little Italy, which mm-hmm. had gotten demolished for the mall. That is now the pit during urban renewal in the 60s. So that was very much like the locus of Italians in Vermont. But so this Italian community had been around since the 60s. They got kicked out. There was new development there. The Irony is that the Bove's are themselves now developers. But something interesting that happened is that in 2018, the Bove's moved their facility back to Vermont. And one of the reasons they eventually decided to move back in 2008, they were fined under a three-year-old law that Vermont's name could only be used on the labels of food products that were made in Vermont. And they were not. They were made in New York. So at the time, the attorney general said, hey, we're going to fine you. And the Bove's worked out a really great deal with Governor Douglas, a Republican at the time, who I'm fairly sure they gave money to Mm. where they would just have to donate some of their sauce to the food shelf you know in an an equivalent amount of money to the food shelf dick sauce it's dick sauce sorry sorry under the settlement the boves agreed to pay a five thousand dollar fine and donate fifty thousand dollars worth of their products to the food fifty
1: thousand dollars
2: worth fifty thousand dollars worth of the sale price not how much it actually cost them they got off easy
1: they got off with their sauce
2: oh my god
1: I'm sorry, I can't stop. So
2: at this celebration they were having at their new facility up in Milton, myself and a few others, I think there was like six of us, we showed up there to protest. To boycott. Yeah, that was the beginning of the actual boycott. Kurt Wright was there, former Burlington City Councilor, State Mm -hmm. Rep. Phil Scott was there. I don't know if Dick Mazza was there, but in an article about their move, they talked about how much Dick Mazza helped them get to that location. So once again, connecting Dick Mazza to the Boves. And I was there holding signs and a bunch of people were driving by asking questions we had things we were handing out and one person stopped by and started asking questions and I was answering them and they go hey so I don't want to alarm you or anything but I am a relative of the boves (laughs) and like immediately like what must have been seen on my face was like oh fuck And then immediately they said, well, I'm a relative, but I agree with everything you're doing and I'm not surprised. And I was <laughs> like, wait, what What? What are you talking about? And they they mentioned that there was a split in the family in the 80s and it was because of Dick Bove. Hmm. And so I started doing some
1: research. So you're just chatting it up with this cousin and he's like, yeah, I'm here, but a ton of my... I, said, I like- got the
2: impression they were there because they were just like either A, I felt required to be there or B, like I was the person doing recon for the rest of the family to tell them what was up I mean that's maybe that's how I would have done it but
1: (laughs) yeah because like half of the family they are not on speech yeah
2: so I dug into it and I ended up making a family chart Dick Bove had multiple siblings four maybe Mm -hmm. five and I went to the UVM library and looked up microfilm I really fucking nerded out here to find old free press articles that talked about this split. And so this is from a Free Press May 5th, 1985 article. In the wake of a family dispute, Dick's brother and sister, Anthony and Corin, left the restaurant last year to set up their own business. Anthony's Italian foods to go across the parking lot. They have filed a court suit asking Mm -hmm. that Boves restaurant be closed. They claim that other family members have not included them in the day-to-day running of the restaurant. Dick and his brothers, Fiore (laughs) and Ernest, claim the formation of the new business is a breach of trust and its location Mm. Amounts to unfair competition, And so, four years later, in November 3rd, 1989, free press article, Five years ago, after a sometimes bitter family dispute, the two oldest brothers, Ernie and Babe, finally negotiated an court settlement with dissident family members, including brother Anthony Bove, who started a competing restaurant, now called Anthony's Italian Foods, just across the parking lot. It's over, it's done with, I don't want to say anything, it wasn't a good thing for an Italian family, Bove said. <laughs>
1: so, Ernie and Babe is... Is that Ernest and Fiore or who?
2: I don't know. I'd have no idea. So there was a meatball recipe that they had made, and this is a text from from this 1991 Free Press article. The secret of the meatball recipe changed hands in 1988 when the brothers bon U, Bono, bought Anthony's Italian Foods from Corin and Tony Bove. Who? it is said, wouldn't even break garlic bread with their kin.
1: (laughs) Now that is some racist ass reporting. It's not racist. They're Italian.
2: It's just good old fashioned fun. So
1: we've got a pretty severe family rift that for our purposes, we are going to say that this rift happened because of greed and self-interest. Yeah,
2: the history of the Boves would seem to present that. And so what, what happened about a decade later in the early 2000s is that the Bove's built their building on Pearl Street, Victoria Place, named after, I think, the grandmother.
1: So Dick and Babe and Ernest, Fiore! Dick and Fiore and Ernest. Initially, there was a rift between those brothers and Perrine and Anthony. Mm -hmm. And then there was an out-of-court settlement with Ernie and Babe. Is that where Dick Bo became the primary owner of the restaurant? How do Rick and Mark, you know, it's not split between them and their cousins.
2: Right. I would have to guess at some point they bought out the other two also. But I don't know. That part of the history is lost to the Parmesan of time. I regret nothing. So next to the, their old restaurant is Victoria Place, which was built in the early 2000s. Okay. It's a great place. Great place. Known for only the finest things. The, the cops, actually, <laughs> the local PD loves that Dunkin' Donuts. Supposedly that Dunkin' Donuts was giving them free coffee for a while until that had to stop. But unrelated, I had the opportunity to talk to a local tenant who had lived in that building for 15 years. And I want to just share some of what we talked about. So Mayumi grew up in Burlington and moved to 90 Pearl Street, a.k.a. Victoria Place, when the building was built in 2001. According to the Burlington Press. Free... It was run by both Mark and Rick Bove, and is still owned by both of them. The Free Press article in 2001, which talks about them building it, is that sons Richard and Mark were developing the property and would be responsible for maintenance when tenants moved in. However, they ran the property so poorly that within a year or two, the Burlington Housing Authority had to take over management of the property, which is unheard of.
1: So clap. Wait, two years? I don't
2: know the exact time frame, but it was pretty quick. <laughs> I could not find anything in the news, but I had heard it from multiple people, including Mayumi, who was willing to go on the record and who lived there through that time. They had to take over managing the property because the property had succumbed to rampant and open drug dealing. BHA managed the property pretty well, and gave back the reins to the Bove brothers on the condition that Rick and Mark no longer personally manage the property themselves and hired a competent property management company.
1: So I don't know anything about property management, but why are property managers responsible for drug problems?
2: Because there is an expectation, you know, you have a right to safe dwelling and you...
1: Maybe they should know who's dealing drugs and evict them or like what? (sighs)
2: I mean, it's a tough situation because I do think everyone deserves to be housed. Right. Uh, You know, regardless. At the same time, it's one thing if you are dealing drugs and doing your best to not bother your neighbors and have noise all the time and have needles left out everywhere. And a whole other thing, if, if you're not only dealing, but you are causing, you're you
1: are know, endangering emotional, lives, yeah. yeah, you're
2: endangering them, your emo- emotional distress. And, and I think, right at that point, then it becomes the landlord's responsibility to a victim or try to rectify the problem. So, so several years later, something happens with that management company. And they're no longer there. And the same issues return. Hallways are left dirty and unclean. At one point, the filter for their gray water system in the basement was left unclean oh. for years. And everyone became sick no, no, from no. explosive no, mold no, no, no. growth. And it wasn't until they threatened to call code enforcement that the problem was As fixed. As if
1: the bulbs care about Code violations.
2: I mean, that's the that that's the type of thing that could have actually hurt their bottom line. Like that to be that level, I think that's mm-hmm. something where a lawsuit could have happened. And I think at that point, they're smart enough yeah. to know. But yeah, at the end of the day, their whole business model rests on ignoring their problems, cutting corners, and renting, as we talked about last episode to people who are mm-hmm. incredibly economically compromised. Have no other
1: options. So when this is happening, do they have the kind of slumlord empire of like five hundred plus properties already, or is at this? It-
2: point when this is built, they probably have maybe half that, I think almost exclusively in Burlington. I, I don't think they had really been doing too much development outside of Burlington at and that point. And
1: did they have, was it the norm for them to have property managers in these different properties?
2: So for a while, they had a company called EP Management. They do some property management throughout New England and actually called them up at one point and asked them about it. Essentially, they tried to argue that the person who was doing the bove stuff was kind of running rogue and they cut off that relationship <laughs> when things came to light i don't know how true it is i don't know if they were just throwing that person under the bus but they're like mostly That's in amazing. southern vermont and massachusetts so i, I don't know so Mayumi, who had been living there for almost two decades, shared with me some stories of other tenants, and she talked about how often the other tenants and workers were scared of the booth. Mm-hmm. One example of that is that there was someone who was working at their restaurant. And this is where it kind of connects the Rick and, B- and Mark because as we said last episode, Rick really is the face of the landlord business and Mark is the face of the pasta sauce in the restaurant. A former relative of this worker. I think it was a grandchild. And her grandfather worked at the Bose restaurant and they made him stay late and work past a certain time. This is their words and wouldn't pay him past a certain time and he worked minimum wage for the whole time and he'd been there for almost 20 years. He also lived on George Street right by the business. So not only did he work for them, he rented Ah. for them. So sometimes they would just take his rent right out of his paycheck, which is illegal.
1: But he was at George
2: Street. He was at the place that there was awful mold, water damage, caving ceilings. My grandma's neighbor had animals in her kitchen and her porch was unstable. It is crazy my papa worked worked for them for so long. They ripped them off. It was so sad. That George Street apartment was the one that had the 37 violations. Here's someone who Worked for them for decades, was a loyal employee, and they treated this person like utter shit. <sighs> now, Rick Bove's argument more recently was that he was waiting to renovate, and he was loath to put money into the property when it was going to be completely renovated anyway.
1: Yeah, it's a bummer to allow people to live in humane conditions when they could just wait to be kicked out when we make it a prettier place and we could charge more anyway. Yep.
2: It, this wasn't even fixes that were putting in new tile. It was literally fixes to make the place habitable. Yeah, exactly. One person had been working at the Boves factory in Milton and also had mm-hmm. been renting from the Boves and decided to quit because of working conditions and got a better job roofing. And he was evicted. He
1: was evicted after he quit.
2: Yes. Like immediately after And he quit. we don't know why. We know why.
1: <laughs> Snitches get evitches. <laughs>
2: There was uh, someone else who worked for Almighty Peaks Painting and was hired by the Boat family for years and was paid either, uh, this is what I was told, either 100% in heroin or cash under the table. Oh. There was one woman who called code enforcement a lot on the boves in that same building hmm. and was evicted because of it. Oh,
1: snitches but get evicted! <laughs> hey,
2: hey, snitches won her case.
1: Good. Is it snitching when you're actually trying to hold people accountable or is that like... is a Different word, different word doing Um, your civic duty
2: sure doing your civic duty so john the name of the man who lived Uh, In the George Street building, Mm -hmm. lived there for over 15 years and was working under the table for the Boves. However, he was evicted when the Boves finally fixed it
1: up. Hey, I called it. Woo! (laughs) That's the insane hypocrisy. You're putting off fixing up a place, and so you're having people live in abysmal situations, and then you just evict them because you don't owe them anything. And they're animals. And they deserve to live like that. So
2: that is essentially how they treat their employees and tenants. There's no other word I would use. They treat them like animals. (sighs) What's interesting though is that this is something that had been going on for a long long time. So that all of what Amy was talking about happened in the past five years or so. However, I did come across an article from 2001 about the construction because to build Victoria Place, they ended up evicting people. And I want to share some of what was written there. Martin, a tenant, said he had complained six months earlier to his landlord, former city councillor Richard Bove Sr., that water damage had weakened the plasterboard ceiling. Bove, says he put off maintenance because martin and others hadn't paid rent in months that's illegal yeah the city contributed public land formerly a parking lot and tweaked zoning laws to accommodate the bove project i want to say that one again the city contributed public land formerly a parking lot and tweaked zoning laws to accommodate the bove project what happened in 2017 the city sold the boves public land a parking lot <laughs> To accommodate their project.
1: It's stage vu a little
2: I, I want to go on. Bove's six-unit brick apartment house on George Street. Oh, what coincidence. Where Martin lived has been cited for 32 violations of the city's minimum housing code in three years. This is so crazy how the exact same thing happened. Even as state agencies were providing more than $3 million in financial help, donating land and changing zoning laws to help the Boves, city inspectors repeatedly were finding violations.
1: So this is where you have to ask like, what the fuck is the city thinking here? (laughs) Sorry, if you were expecting something deeper or more profound, no. Like what the fuck is the city getting out of helping these poor slum lords there's, who are just trying to make ends meet?
2: There's there's more though. Charles,
1: don't shit on my life.
2: Asked why the city would help the Boves build new housing when Bove seniors record at George Street was poor, so was Bove juniors. City officials said the Boves agreed to major renovations at the George Street property. He made a commitment to fix these properties, said Michael Monte, director of Burlington CETO, who is now the CEO of Champlain Housing Trust. Richard Bove Jr., who manages his father's properties, said repairs were put off at George Street because several tenants owed back rent. He evicted Martin for that reason. <sighs> so now Martin got evicted too. George Sr. made no mention of unpaid rents. When he evicted Martin in September, he listed no cause. Which is funny because as we talked about, the city of Burlington right now is arguing whether there should be a law that you can only evict for just cause. And when you look at when things are done and why people are evicted, it's for reasons like this. Martin said he was evicted because he complained. Martin said he has been unable to find a vacant affordable apartment and would be forced to live either in a shelter or a nightly motel with his two young daughters, one of whom suffers from cystic fibrosis.
1: Also, as a tenant, there's the idea that you rely on recommendations from previous landlords. Yes,
2: so oftentimes that is what the Boves will use to dangle over people's heads. And and there was a a court case that I went to and was actually a part of that goes around that that we'll talk about in a little bit. It
1: just keeps getting more fun.
2: In this same article, a city inspector who spoke to Bove Sr. in 1998 concluded in a report that the family was delaying maintenance for another reason. They planned to tear down the building on George Street. In 1998, at the same address, inspectors found a stove that didn't work, holes in the walls, broken windows, rotting wood, and other problems. The property was cited for 23 violations after that. Mm. Bove Sr. and his wife wife own the land for the project. Sons Richard and Mark are developing the property and will be responsible for maintenance when tenants move in. And as we talked about, they did a shit job being I, I, responsible
1: This just it. makes me so sad. Yeah,
2: it should. I mean, it should make you angry, too. Yes.
1: The sad is after the angry. Again, 20 years later, when- Literally
2: the same exact thing has happened. Right, <laughs> and you
1: and other activists are bringing this to the discussion in Burlington, and the city is still siding with the Boves, whether it be Bill Ward's law-abiding, you know, I just help make everything look great and clean, support, or the Boves threatening you and having no- consequences it's just exhausting and
2: it's almost always people who are trying to recover people who are formerly incarcerated trying to get their lives back in order or single parents another single parent from that building in 2019 in may
1: from the victoria place from
2: victoria place sent me this story I knew the Boves for many years since I was 13 years old. I'm a single mother of three girls and I lived at 90 Pearl Street for the past seven years and just got kicked out. They never fixed anything at all. When I moved in management was EP Management, now it's Bove Brothers Realty. I got kicked out on April 30th and had two weeks to get my belongings out of the place. I had friends and family helping me pack and we couldn't get much done because the maintenance man would go and lock the door when we went to get more boxes and tape. I never knew I had 14 days to get my belongings out as someone slipped a notice under my door after I was evicted. Well, again yesterday, we were there all day packing. I left to go get the moving truck, come back with the door locked with all of my kid's stuff in the place. most of all, I have my uncle's ashes in there. I have a voicemail on my phone from the property manager that she was going to give me until morning to get my stuff out. I called the police, made a report, and now I'm taking both to court. Because this is wrong for what they did to me. Everyone that I have talked to said that I can bring them to court, even the police officer. On Christmas several years ago, my upstairs neighbor had left her window open and her heat was off. The heater busted, with water coming out of my light and leaking down where my 10-month-old daughter was sleeping. My room, I couldn't sleep in it. All the stuff that was in my master bedroom was in the dining room, kitchen, my kids' room, and the living room. We had no heat for two days in the middle of winter, and I have an 8-year-old and a 7-year-old and a 10-month-old at the time when this happened. I called Red Cross. I called two-one-one. I called everywhere. But no one would put me and my kids in a hotel. The day I went back, because Rick both said that everything was fixed, but it wasn't, and that was when family services came and took my kids because of the way my home looked. I blame that man for me not having oh my, my kids these people are worse than they Oh
1: hands. Charles I can't do this No I
2: mean these all these fucking stories are sad uh, every single one of them is just fucking depressing. I went to the mayor. I went to the council. I went to Bill Ward. I emailed every state rep and senator in Chittenden County. I contacted town health officers in other towns. Nothing fucking happened. Like that to me is why it's so depressing and why I really wanted to do this. Because I think so often most people don't see this. Most people who are homeowners, most people who are wealthier renters, they don't know any of this that's going on because Burlington is so economically segregated in so many Mm. ways, particularly socially and by building. I mean, and there's
1: also beyond the segregation, there are also just so many misconceptions about why and how people get into their situations. And that's widespread in our society. Like, oh, you had your kids taken away. You must be a monster.
2: You must be a bad parent. So I did have the opportunity to be in a court case, and and I wasn't supposed to be in it, but I was helping a tenant, and Rick Bove was there with his lawyer. I was just kind of sitting in the back, and I was texting with the person who was trying to get their deposit back, so the Bove's had taken their deposit. Not only that, uh, this person had a lot of difficulty finding a different place to move to because the Bove's had written a bad landlord review, and because they had a Mm -hmm. Section 8 voucher, that review went with them. Anywhere else, they would-
1: Go. Damn it. Honestly, like what does this idea of landlord reviews? There's already
2: credit checks. Evictions get stuck on your credit report. There's background exactly. checks. There's there's everything else. It's just one more way to control people and to punish them. And it's entirely legal.
1: And it's entirely
2: subjective. It's 100% subjective. Especially when you have 500 units. How the hell are you ever going to actually know what goes on in any of those units?
1: Even given that, the landlord review is somehow given weight. How does that make sense? Because that's how it works. It makes more sense for a tenant to give a review of a landlord. At the same time, it's like, it's not the landlord's job to prevent somebody (laughs) from getting housing.
2: What it's, the it's, fuck it's, is it's that? Their, their intimidation. Because tenants talk to each other, so it's not even about being successful. It's about that this happens to them, and then they talk to one tenant who talks to other tenants, and then everyone gets the message: Hey, you, you try to take them on. You try to. And if
1: you do organize, Joan Shannon says, "Oh, there are advocacy groups that are that are pushing your." <laughs> <laughs> ah,
2: no, I'm all for a good Joan Shannon bash.
1: Not, not only that, it
2: was clear when, when I was there that the Bows were trying to distance themselves. Rick Bove tried arguing that the person was not actually suing him, but was suing his LLC. This tenant ended up winning. They got their deposit back. I think they decided it wasn't willful, even though it clearly was. But they got their deposit back. It took them another like three to five months before the boves were actually willing to send it to her she contacted them multiple times but in this court decision i I love it i'm going to read this part the court concludes that that is what transpired here responding to one of the court's questions mr rick bove testified that businesses operated by him and his family control over 500 residential dwelling units a professionally managed operation of that Mm -hmm. size and scale must be fully aware of its legal (laughs)
1: obligations to
2: tenants Moreover, both the lease and the itemized statement at issue evidence a conscious awareness of applicable 14-day deadline. Thus, the court concludes that the failure to include the refund check with the itemized statement was a willful violation of the statutory requirements. So I was wrong. The tenant did get double their deposit back. Like one of the few times... Some good news, people! And Rick Bove, to try to scare her, tried to countersue for $5,000, which is the maximum you could do in small claims court. She did not have a lawyer with her. He had a lawyer.
1: And she wasn't scared off. She
2: was not scared off. It was scary. I was there. Otherwise, no one would have been there to support her. The property manager was there and as far as I'm concerned lied under oath which is why I ended up speaking because the property manager said that her apartment had feces everywhere and kids had drawn all over the walls and shit and I was there. I went into the apartment and talked to her and none of that was true and so I shared my perspective.
1: How did you do that? You just stood up and you were like fuck you no you're wrong.
2: (laughs) No we were texting and she was like I don't know what to do and I was like if you want to call me up as a witness I'm happy to tell my side of the story and Rick Bowes lawyer did not cross examine me. When my name was said and I I made my oath. Rick Bove had the the (laughs) shit-eating smirk on his face, being able to put the face to the name. It was fun. It really was. It was like the one time where it was like, fuck yes.
1: You're like, something I did mattered. (laughs)
2: Something I did mattered.
1: Rick and Mark both. to what extent are they protected behind the Wizard of Oz curtain of LLCs? It's not them personally getting attacked? No,
2: it's that's standard practice. Most large developers and landlords do that, where each building has its own LLC connected mm. to that specific building. And not only does it protect them, it makes it a lot harder to find out who owns what. Right. Not so much in Vermont, just because it's a small state. But when you go to big cities like New York, Boston, San Francisco, Chicago, and there's tenants in those states uh, that have done research particularly in the bay area and chicago where they map it out because there's like an llc inside an llc inside an L. it's a shell company after shell company after shell company and it makes it almost impossible to find out who the actual landlord is it's scummy it's scummy business
1: so i just want to point out that i am very glad for your story about this remarkable person this remarkable tenant who was not deterred ultimately yes but it is when you are in a situation where you're being evicted you're looking for housing who knows what else is going on in your personal life and financially you're probably not in this kind of place where you don't have all of the crazy stresses that financial scarcity puts you in anyway and
2: you need a second deposit when most americans don't even have five hundred dollars in savings exactly
1: and on top of that so so this person again this person is remarkable yeah. because they're going with that situation and they're saying fuck it not only is it ethically wrong but legally it's wrong again like if i were in that situation i would totally not be able to do yeah. that
2: there was a study done by legal aid which showed that when tenants were able to get lawyers on their side in court cases they won when they had a lawyer with them they, they won some money 75% of the time. The The other thing is that this person had to represent themselves because one of the only organizations that represents tenants is legal aid and legal aid almost will never go to court oh, with a tenant God, unless it's like so egregious. They don't have the resources. They don't, they, they have to pick and choose. You have to have, meet an income requirement. I mean, there, there's, there's other cities like San Francisco, which just passed laws where Tenants have a right to a lawyer that is publicly funded. So there are places that tenants are able to wield enough power against the landlords. Well,
1: the good news is that here in Burlington, we have a robust tenant union. It's been around for what, two years?
2: A year, a year and a half, a year and a half, last May. I want to talk a little bit about Mark Bove. And how he's a nasty woman. He's a nasty woman is the only way I can put that. You are correct. So in the beginning of this episode, you started with a clip of a voicemail from Mark calling me. And essentially what happened was I made the website boycottboves.com. And within five hours, Mark (laughs) Bove called me. He was hoping to be nice. And and he was hoping, hey, I'm going to call and be nice about it. And because so many people I talked to. He was not
1: hoping to be nice. He was hoping to be gracious. Yes.
2: So many people I talk to, they, they have nothing nice to say about Rick Bove. But the moment you get on Mark, they'll say, well, this one time the laundry machine in Victoria Place ate my quarters and he gave me my quarters back. You know, like he does these small things. He held
1: the door for me yeah, one time. He,
2: he does these small one things. One time
1: he shared an umbrella with me.
2: It is, it is a good cop, bad cop situation. Ugh, gross. Without a doubt. Pops. He, it, yes, exactly. Sorry. He called me. I didn't respond. I was like, oh, okay, whatever. He threatened uh, that his lawyer was going to call the next morning at eight thirty in the morning. His lawyer calls and
1: also like emailed you too, right? Like- and
2: emailed me. Yeah, yeah. And let's let's play the the lawyer clip.
1: Hi, Mr. Winkleman. My name is Pietro Lynn. I'm a lawyer in Burlington. I was hoping to touch base with you about Boves. Um, I, I spoke with the Boves and. We'd like to have a conversation with you. Uh, I know that Mark left a message about the um about the intellectual property on your website, but I think more importantly, they're local. They want people to feel good about them generally and if there's an opportunity for us to hear from you around concerns uh, about the way they do business or the like um they're they're willing to have that conversation uh they want You know, they want to be regarded as good and productive members of this community. My number is 802-860-1500. Thank you.
2: First off, the lawyer confuses trademarks with copyright. I would not hire a lawyer like this, but I'm not him. Because he, he, he said I was infringing on, on the Beau brand. And I ended up going to a lawyer. And the lawyer was like, no, that's bullshit. And so I waited for a response. The lawyer emailed them. They never at all responded back to me.
1: Because they were like, oh, you lawyer. Yeah. Up.
2: No, exactly. That's <laughs> what they do. They try to intimidate. And then they were like, oh, he's he must be rich enough that he can afford a lawyer. Fuck it. We're out. That's so typical. Yeah, they,
1: People with capital and with access to lawyers yeah. trying to bully, bully you. Into but that's life. the
2: legal system. Unless...
1: The, the, that is the legal system. Unless the
2: state is going to provide or the community is going to provide lawyers for anyone who needs one free of cost, the people who have lawyers are often going to get what they want, especially when they can afford multiple lawyers.
1: Especially when the laws are made by people who benefit from those kinds of predatory actions.
2: Exactly. Well, it doesn't help that a lot of our politicians are also lawyers. So, October 2018, uh, a few months later, the Bove's doing their Friday flashback dinner. And so I came by myself and I was standing on the side of the road at the protests that we had done before where phil scott was there and they had opened up the milton police showed up but they said that we could stand a little bit on the grass so that we'll be out of the driver's way it's a pretty busy road it's route seven so that friday when when i showed up within like 15 minutes the police were there and they gave me a no trespass order with Mm -hmm. my name everything attached so i just went across the street like it didn't fucking matter like okay i'm never going into your shitty restaurant manufacturing plant anyway (laughs) but it was just another it's just another attempt to bully and there was a guy who i ended up talking to who was going inside with his friends and saw me and was like "Fuck that went and hung out with me and held a sign. This guy had never met before, and he told me about how a friend of his ended up overdosing and dying because they were wrongly evicted, and the stress just, like, took them. And they used, they relapsed, and that did them. That, that ended their life. And so, the Boves are terrible fucking people. The last thing I wanted to share was that they're Boves neighbors. If, if you look at the building, there's a neighbor when you're coming from the south, mm-hmm. up Route 7, and there's a giant, ugly yes. fence there. It's plastic. Yep. It's super shitty. And it's because Mark Bove got into a property line fight with his neighbor. So Patrick uh, is the neighbor and I interviewed Patrick. So we should listen to that short interview.
0: Can you tell me about what happened with the Bove's uh, manufacturing facility in your home? Yeah, they were uh, trying to dig over an extra 50 feet that A, they didn't own. B, there's absolutely no need for it on the excavation side of things. C, they're greedy assholes. Would you mind saying your name? Patrick Lavalette. Patrick Lavallette, And you live right next door? Oh yeah, absolutely. For the whole time that the construction's been going on. And how is that? <laughs> if you could think of the biggest pain in the ass, a little bit bigger than that. Alright, what's up with this uh, fence? Uh, over a big property dispute, over three feet of property. Three feet? And three feet a hundred, wide. A hundred feet long exactly. or something? Exactly. Three hundred feet. And how big is their property now? I believe it's eight acres. Eight acres. And And they they sit on a one acre parcel. And they sit on one acre parcel and they got frustrated with you. And they put up a giant beige fence. Yeah, you know, why not spruce up the neighborhood? Even though it looks like barking my dog's asshole. All right, anything else you can think of? (laughs) Don't buy their fucking spaghetti sauce.
2: So essentially what happened is that Mark tried to buy some of the land from him. And Patrick was like, no, you own 350,000 square feet. Like, you don't need this land. And that made Mark very mad. So despite him, he put up the fence. (laughs) So the politicians, as we talked about last time, Weinberger took $2,000 from Rick and Mark after he sold them a public working lot.
1: In campaign contributions in one campaign year.
2: contributions. Yeah. Literally months after the sale. In December twenty seven, the the they sold the parking lot and he got that money by March twenty eighteen.
1: Hmm. You scratch my dick, I'll scratch oh, yours. Yeah. One
2: thousand dollars from each of the boats. We have Phil Scott. As I mentioned before, he stood with them when they were announcing their new building. He received four thousand dollars from them shortly after that move.
1: Oh, take that, Miracle. And then
2: Don Turner, who ran for lieutenant governor as Republican, was a former rep and is the Milton town manager. He got $750 in in-kind donations for his campaign.
1: But Charles, in-kind donations, $750. No, you're right. He should have That's done better. He should have
2: much. asked for more.
1: Yeah. I mean, I could give that amount in crayons. <laughs>
2: no, you couldn't have. <laughs> Sorry. The other one, which which I think is the most problematic, is Attorney General T.J. Donovan. Mm. I reached out to TJ about a lot of these complaints, and essentially what his office ended up telling me was that I should hire a private attorney if I wanted to sue the Boves. That's not what the attorney general does. I was like, hey, there's clear fraud going on. There's clear history of abuse with tenants. Sorry, that's not what we do. In 2016, the Boves gave TJ $400 in party night expenses, probably some of their food and $1,000 in cash. In 2018, they gave TJ another $1,000 in cash, even though TJ was running unopposed. And in 2020, they gave TJ another $1,000
1: in cash. Wait, attorneys are partisan?
2: they all are especially old boy tj not only that in in 2018 tj had the pleasure Mm, well actually technically i guess the boves had the pleasure
1: we're talking about top and bottom here yes
2: we are so mark mark (laughs) bove and tj there's a photo that the boves of vermont posted on their facebook page that Mark and TJ were together as judges for Junior Iron Chef 2018. And there's a nice photo of the two of them together. But it's not just those those individual politicians who are directly connected to the Boves, mm-hmm. which is still its own issue. And, and I actually, I did a record requests of TJ's office back in 2018. And although I couldn't find anything that they had done regarding Dick Maza or Almighty Peaks painting or Bove Brothers LLC, I did find, them charging the Boves, uh, Josephine Bove, the mom, and Mark and Rick with lead violations, lead paint violations. There was also someone else complaining about some things they did. So it's not like he doesn't know that there's complaints going on. It's not like he doesn't know what's been going on with this company. It's just what TJ focuses on. I mean, he's a good old boy. The Boves are good old boys. They've been there for a long time. The families, you know, maybe they were on different sides of the political spectrum, right. but you know, class class interest is what matters most at the end of the day. You and and sev-
1: Oh my God. A seven
2: day His article from 2019 by Taylor Dobbs called House of Landlords, Property Owners, Senators, Mull Tenant Protections, I think really brings it on home. Uh, There was a bill, S-163, which included the creation of a database of all rental units statewide, because that's not a thing that exists right now. But Senator Jeanette White of Wyndham, Democrat, objected to some of the policy. She said a statewide list of rental units would include an apartment in her home that she rents out. I don't want my apartment listed, White said during a debate on the Senate floor. My apartment is in my house, and I choose who I rent to. Senator John Rogers, a Democrat of Essex, Orleans, a building contractor, piled on. He said the state already imposes onerous restrictions on him and other contractors.
1: Onerous restrictions. And another would be unfair.
2: However, they're not the only ones who are senators, as we talked about Dick Mazza is. Senator Chris Pearson is a landlord. As of 2019, 12 of the Senate's 30 members reported making at least $10,000 a year from their rental properties or real estate companies that's ten thousand in income i assume that's after all expenses too that's almost half if not half at this point who knows if maza is included in that and then you got pearson now although i guess he did replace zuckerman (laughs) zuckerman was is a landlord maybe it's still 12 it gets better though Uh, According to Senate (laughs) rules, and by better, I mean worse. According to Senate rules, no senator shall be permitted to vote upon any question in which he or she is directly or immediately interested.
1: Something like a conflict of what's it called? Yeah,
2: but but Senator White said everything that we do is a conflict of interest. She said (laughs) lawmakers, she argued, are only conflicted when a proposal would impact you more than anyone in that class of people. So she recognizes that she is part of a separate class, the landlord class, the capitalist class, but that in itself isn't a conflict of interest because all class members are a part of it.
1: There's this idea that there's a black and white conflict of interest or no conflict of interest and that there's no in between. What you're kind of implying is there's a conflict of class interest, so it doesn't exist. Well, what
2: White said too was, this doesn't impact me any more than it impacts any other landlord in this state, which one is not true. The finances of a small landlord are different than a big landlord. So the idea that it doesn't impact them differently is just bullshit in the first place. Oh, absolutely. But on top of that, it's one thing if you're part of a group, a minority of people that makes up 30% of the population. <laughs> you know, it'd be one thing if it was like, hey, I'm a small business owner and it's just me. Mm-hmm. I employ myself. I have whatever. I have my own LLC. I don't know how it's called. Like a lot of people in Vermont. Have that situation. I don't know how many, but like, there there should be a threshold. And the idea that that right. because she is a landlord and that this bill supposedly won't impact her as a landlord right. more than anyone else is just total utter bullshit. And
1: I mean, maybe there's another conversation we should be having around conflicts of interest. Yeah. Addressing a conflict of interest doesn't make you an evil person. You are a multifaceted creature. You have interests. It's okay to say, yeah, I'm a landlord, right. and so this will affect my income. This will affect my livelihood. And it's, it's
2: lying. It's lying when you say it's not like that's right. that's I think the biggest issue is is that it is a conflict. Now, it might not be a legal conflict. It might not be a conflict to <laughs> get you sued for Joe and Shannon, but that doesn't make it but it doesn't make it ethical. Sure, you are able to legally make that decision. But if that was me, I would be saying I am not going to vote on this. I'm going to rescind myself. I am going to be organizing with landlords, you know, whatever it might be. As this boycott was going on, and and it was a great lesson in how boycotts are essentially impossible, especially at this stage of capitalism and, and neoliberalism. You mean
1: like you can do it, but it's not going to move the needle on any... No, no. I mean, and that's why yeah, I started exactly. the
2: website was I was like, all right, shaming is clearly going to be more effective. in this podcast is clearly going to be more effective because so many people I would talk to about it, they either already knew and weren't buying it anyway, or they wouldn't believe me when I told them about it. So there's so few people that are in that middle area where they'd be like, Oh, there's a boycott. Oh, I didn't know. Okay. I'll never buy.
1: Or they were like, wait, there's a boycott, but that it's not something that we do. Well, so
2: yeah. So I figured that city market is a co-op and maybe right. healthy living would be the two most amenable. Boves is sold in Costco. They're sold in Hannaford. They're sold in so many places. I was like, none of those big right. companies are gonna give a shit. But this small one that claims to care about the community, they they might be willing to move a little bit on this. So I I did get a meeting with John Tashiro, who is the CEO of City Market, mm-hmm. and yeah. I tried even just saying like a hypothetically because they said we don't do boycotts, and I was like, well, let's talk hypothetically here. I was like, let's say you knew that a company was using child slave labor. It came out in the news. Some reputable news source said, hey, they're right. this yeah, company. Yeah. <laughs> Would you you remove that product from your shelves
1: or would you be like oh man subcontractors <laughs> loopholes they don't know it's not their fault i mm. so they said
2: they uh, don't deal in hypotheticals and they only remove products for quality control reasons <laughs> or if someone was charged with a crime And the example they gave was the Samosa Man product, where eventually that company was charged. And so that, then they removed those. But even when the complaints came through, they they
1: kept it. Wait, what's the Samosa Man? It was a company
2: that was making samosas that was made by an immigrant, but that immigrant was also... Brown? Taking advantage of of other immigrants, yes.
1: Oh, and brown. Yeah. As opposed to, like, third generation, not brown. Yeah. Yeah, okay, okay.
2: Okay. If I remember correctly, they restarted their business in New Hampshire. But so then I I asked them, I was like, well, would city market ever write a policy around boycotts? And they said that it would be too difficult to investigate every one of their products. And I was like, oh, I'm not asking you to do that. Like you could do it as a complaint-based model. You could say that there needs to be a certain threshold. And they said, no, we don't do that. I asked then if I could at the very least inform members of this and table outside because there was a lot of different organizations that could table there and they said that we were not an officially recognized organization <laughs> and that I, our <laughs> ideas and Sorry. they specifically oh. said and I, I just need to stress this they said that the ideas of Boycott Boves would likely not align with the newer and wealthier members right. of the city market in the south end which is what was most important for them it was it was a very contentious conversation as, as you can imagine and as I was leaving yeah. the CEO John Tashiro followed me out and that was when as, as I mentioned and hinted at in the first part is when he asked me kind of out of the blue as I was leaving, he was like, you rented from them, right? You rented from the Boves, right? I I, I read that or heard that and it just made me so mad because it was clearly a, a sort of like gotcha, like, yeah. oh, you are you're just have a, a personal vendetta, a personal grudge and I was like, well, yeah, it's on the website. Like, I put that in there. I put my name, <laughs> I mentioned that because I'm very upfront up about it. So that happened. Then I talked on the phone to the CEO of Healthy Living, Eli Lesser Goldsmith, and We could do a whole episode on him and his own business practices. There was an article in Vermont Digger that had come out about healthy living or food standards and be more healthy and blah, blah, blah. <laughs>
1: healthy with your body, not with your community. Yeah.
2: And so I called them and I was like, hey, here's a standard that might matter. It's, it's funny, there's very strong parallels in, in the Jewish community with kosher food, But when it comes to kosher food, it's not an ethical requirement, it's a very technical requirement. Right. And so there's a lot of kosher butchers that have gotten in trouble in the Midwest, Absolutely. abusing the shit out of migrant workers that are in precarious positions. And it's still, they're still kosher, it doesn't matter. So, you know, he said they investigated mm-hmm. all the products on their shelves when it comes to sourcing and environment. <laughs> mental sustainability but they refused any sort of the research for anything that i did however as we were talking it turned out that eli Lester goldsmith is friends with mark bove and he was at Aww, their event cute. their homecoming event in september and i only put it together after the fact when we were talking he came up to me and asked for this piece of paper and i didn't know who he was i was like who's this like snowboard bro coming over <laughs> to talk to me and he was like hey man i disagree with everything you're doing but i really risk resp- first amendment rights to say it and i'm like what the fuck is this?" (laughs)
1: Yeah, you and your first man were whatever. So during the
2: conversation, he expressed deep appreciation for what we were doing. Not enough, of course, to ban the products or stop being friends with Mark. But he said he knew Mark personally (laughs) and would talk to him about it.
1: I will convey this information.
2: Once again, just the the relationship of power and, and the class interest and the fact that these sort of people are all friends together and take photos together and are in junior chef competitions together and so intimately connected when it comes to their personal financial interests. So as we do at the end of, I guess, of all of our episodes, what is there to learn? What is there to take away from this bummer? <laughs> I'm
1: thinking about how the Boves are insulated from any negative retribution because they have the same things at stake as many people in positions of power. So whether that be business owners, whether that be other landlords, specifically those previous two things in positions of political power.
2: The, the thing that I'm thinking about is Vermont's not unique and in many ways because of the small size of the state and how the state is, is fairly isolated from any major larger states or cities or, or larger populations. We're very insulated and, and we really love to think that we are different. And I think last episode you put it so well where you said that it's class interests along with such a small community. How do you break that? How do you overcome something like that? In other cities, traditionally, you, you would get enough new migration to yeah. move into these areas and and break it up a little bit and threaten that power. And in Vermont, you just, you don't see that. You don't have that. And so that's just one of the things I think about is like, how do you build it? an alternative to push against the Boves power and the the state senators who are landlords and the governor and all these other people.
1: In a state as small as Vermont with power systems as intertwined as Vermont's, what chance do we have at accountability for people who have over 500 properties and the money that they bring in from those properties is going into the pockets of local politicians? What chance do we have for accountability there? What chance do we have for our legal repercussions mm-hmm. when they can pay for lawyers? And the people who are trying to defend themselves yeah. don't have that luxury.
2: I will end on a parable. So there was a town where there was the uh, there was a knot that no one was able to
1: untie. <laughs> Wait, is this
2: maniac McGee? The greatest knot tires showed up and tried and no one could do it. And then one day, a great communist leader showed up, <laughs> took out a knife and just cut the knot. And I think that is the only way to move forward.
1: Wait, what are you talking about? This is not Maniac, Mickey. That's not the way that story ends. The right.
2: knot is the all these these circle jerk relationships that exist. You gotta you gotta cut through them. That's it. That's that's the analogy. You
1: gotta tie those tubes.
2: You gotta tie them up so bad. No, I yet. know what I
1: was going to say with City's relationship to the Bobes. It's like if you have a kid and you buy that kid a, a pet. Mm-hmm. Let's say you buy them a fish, and they keep on killing that fish because they don't. Feed it, and they don't clean the tank. Can
2: you choose a puppy? Can you make it a puppy?
1: Well, no, so this is the thing. They're like, okay, you're not doing well with that fish. Why don't you clean that tank and we'll give you a puppy?
2: And then the puppy dies. It's like
1: a uh, fish that they want at the fair, right? And they keep killing it every year. And so the parents yeah, are like, yeah. okay, we give you a puppy and you clean the tank. You know, so the kid is like, all right, I get the puppy, throw this tank out the fucking window, get it a new tank and get new fish and hire somebody to take care of the fish. And also abuse this puppy.
2: All right. So that was a... Uh downer of a two-parter here's what i would say if you're not coming out strongly against the boves you are complicit so city market uh, healthy living yeah, all these other places that sell boves and work with boves and these politicians who work with boves they're complicit like that's what it comes down to for me so even if you're not a bad landlord or a bad business owner like what are you gonna do about this if, you, if you're listening to this what the fuck are you gonna do
1: Well that's the end of this bottle.